We believe intentionality exists. We are two millennial moms who are the first to admit our imperfections. We are linking arms, opening the conversation about our struggles to find balance. What if there is more to simplicity than just minimalism or the number of items in your cabinet? What if the measuring stick goes beyond the surface of materialism? What if simplicity is found deep within intentionality? Narrowing your focus to what really matters. Pursuing the right things, fleeing the dangerous things, to delight in the finest of things. In a generation saturated with instant gratification, screens, and distracted relationships, simplicity beckons. Hey friends, Elizabeth here. Natalie needed to take a week off, so I'm going to be continuing on with our series about the unspoken seasons of motherhood. And I'm going to be speaking to a new friend of mine named Tristan Gregory. Now the funny story is, we've actually been friends on social media for years and years now and have known who each other are in sort of that peripheral way that we do now with uh, social media when you have a lot of mutual friends, but we had never actually met in person. And recently her husband um, started working as a pastor at our church and it just felt like this crazy uh, coincidence that we were now finally getting to meet in person. Tristan and her husband Aaron have had a lot of experience with infertility and loss and I am really excited to share this interview with you because Tristan was so gracious to share her heart and her story and I just think there's a lot of value in it. Hey Tristan, how are you? Good, thanks. What do y'all have going on? So we are getting ready for a new school year to start. Um, I'm starting teaching a two-year-old's class for our church and so I'm excited about that and we're just um, getting ready, getting ready for the year and all this craziness. It's so crazy. It's so different. So have you, have you taught kids before? Yeah. So this will be my fifth year for preschool. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Two's the youngest. Usually it's, um, three to five that I've done in the past. So I'm excited, but it'll be different for sure. So we actually go to the same church and you're actually going to be teaching just right down the hall from my office. So it's cool. I get to see you in passing. Yeah. So we have been kind of diving into like a three-part series about kind of the unspoken seasons of motherhood and kind of those times that we go through um, in our lives that are difficult journeys, but oftentimes they're not talked about because it's kind of, they're uncomfortable topics and they're kind of hard to bring up. So I know that you and your husband, Aaron, have struggled a lot with infertility. Um, So do you want to just give us a little bit of a background on you and your husband and just kind of what that journey has looked like for y'all? Yeah. So um, we've been married five years and our start into this infertility journey is different than a lot of people's. It's not that we didn't get pregnant. And so we sought out medical care. We got married and very quickly after moved across the country. And as soon as we moved, I got really sick. And so I was having these horrible episodes with pain, um, which turned out to be ovarian cysts that were rupturing. And It took us a while to figure that out. We had to see a few doctors and some specialists. Um, So that's kind of what 
what started us into this journey. We found out that was happening and then had a few surgeries and found that I had stage four endometriosis, which was really rough. Our first surgeon was not kind or empathetic in any way. And she told me at that point, 20 years old, hey, look, your fallopian tubes are wrecked and you won't conceive naturally ever. And she said, I can refer you to a fertility specialist, but they're just going to take out your tubes and recommend IVF. So that for us was, I mean, devastating. We were 20 years old. We had just gotten married. I had no idea before these cysts that I had any issues with my reproductive system. And so after that, we just stopped medical treatments or doctor's appointments or anything for that that season of living in Indiana until we moved back to Texas and then we saw a specialist here. I can't even imagine what that's like to all of a sudden just be getting married, moving across the country, and then just kind of being thrown into that. So it's a very invasive disease. There's different levels, different stages. So I had stage four, which is the most advanced. Um, And what happens with endometriosis is that the endometrium is the lining of your uterus. Mm -hmm. So a tissue that is very similar to that lining, um, it's not exactly the same, but it starts to grow in other places outside your uterus. So on your ovaries, on your fallopian tubes, with stage four, mine was spread to other organs. So my bladder and my colon. And it's basically... It's just this invasive disease that gets very inflamed. They don't know exactly what causes it, which is frustrating because it's 2020. I feel like we should know that by now. Right. Some people have it and have no pain. Unfortunately for me, that's not been my experience. It's very painful for a while. It's more manageable now. I have a surgery every single year. Um, I have surgery for them to go in and kind of clear that away and they clear away the scar tissue that's caused from the inflammation. And so every year we kind of do that and start over, which helps. But yeah, in my experience, it's very invasive. It's very painful. Oh my goodness. I cannot even imagine. So you said that y'all were living in Indiana. What, what called y'all out there? Yeah, so my husband um, went to Boyce, which is the undergrad school at Southern Seminary. Okay. Um, He went there, which is in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and we lived right across the bridge in Indiana, and he worked for a small church there. Were you just kind of praying and waiting, or? Um, So at that point, we were really hurt from the medical field. It had taken so long to figure out what was wrong, and then... There was just no hope, honestly, no hope offered from the medical field. So we were hurt by that. We also had looked into, okay, well, if we had to do treatments, what would that look like for us? Mm -hmm. And it's very expensive. Yeah. Um, And we were not in a place where that was going to be an option for us. So really at that point, the remainder of the time in Indiana, we were really just focused on my quality of life and trying to um, figure out what what would bring my body comfort as it was going through all this pain and trauma. And I don't use that word lightly, but it was a very traumatic experience for us. So really, we just spent that time 
not trying to get pregnant, but just trying to heal my body in, in whatever way we thought that we could. Yeah. Do you feel like that was a, a unifying experience for you as a couple? Like no. to kind of, no, no. Yeah. Um, it became so infertility in our experience has been a long journey. So it's been five years yeah. and, um, no, at first it wasn't unifying. It was very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, because although my husband could see that I was in pain and he hurt that I was hurting, um, that was very difficult for him. But as a woman at 20 years old, when someone tells you, you will not bear children, there's this sense of loss. Oh yeah. That I think is hard for a husband to understand. Um, now I, I think over the, the past five years, as we've lived it, he has experienced that loss with me for sure. But right away in the first year or two, it was very lonely. It was very um, challenging for us to communicate or for me to communicate why this was such a devastating outcome and why um, it just seemed so final to me where yeah. in his eyes, it wasn't a final thing. Like there was hope and there was options and we could do lots of things. Um, but for me, I just really felt very betrayed by my body yeah, and betrayed by medicine and by the doctors mm-hmm. around me. So, so yeah, we've, we've grown together, but um, it definitely has been challenging. I really, I love that you're honest about that because I feel like, just walking through something like that, especially from being newly married, would just be so hard. Be such a put such a strain because, like you said, our husbands, as we struggle through different things, especially with our bodies, they're trying to be empathetic and they're trying to they're trying to experience it with us, but they just can't. It's interesting that you say you feel betrayed by your body because, in my struggles with keeping pregnancies. I have experienced that same feeling where it's just like, how can I want something so badly with my heart and my mind and my spirit and have my body not cooperate and Mm -hmm. have my body like, you know, you just, you feel like you're being sabotaged by your body and it's a very confusing, you don't even feel like you're in sync with yourself, you know, let alone like you're trying to stay in sync with your spouse at the same time. So that oh, it's incredibly, incredibly hard. So y'all ended up coming back to Texas and that is where you are from. You're from West Texas. You actually grew up in the same town as my husband. Yeah. So he kind of, he kind of knew, y'all kind of knew each other, right? Or. Yeah, I knew. So his youngest sister or younger sister is um, my sibling's age. So okay. they were all older than me. I never knew them personally, but um, his mom was a teacher of mine mm-hmm. in elementary school. And so we definitely knew of each other, um, just not personally. Yeah. So y'all came back to Texas. Y'all felt called back to Texas. What did, so what did that look like? What was that season like for, for yeah, your so family? We were, we were so excited to move back to Texas because – Um, Indiana had been pretty lonely for us. It was hard 
We lived in a small town, so there wasn't many other couples our age. And we moved back because my husband was offered a full-time position at a church that we loved, the church that we were engaged and married in. Um, so we moved back to West Texas, and we were very hopeful for a new season. We bought our first home. We, fertility-wise, at that point, were really ready to figure out, okay, what can we do? Um, we have a full-time job. We have great insurance. We were both working and had income. And so we got on the list for a specialist, and we had to wait nine months to see her. Yes. So um, she was great. And do you want me to tell you about that? Like just what that looked like? or Yeah. Oh, abs- no, okay. absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, can you hear Mary screaming on the other side of the wall? No. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> she is. Do you I was need like, to go get her? No, Chase has got it. Chase has okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, we, we got in to see an amazing specialist, like nationally ranked. She's amazing. And she was also a believer, which could not have been more different than the doctor we saw in Indiana. Um, she was very full of hope and gave us many more options than strictly IVF. So we started down that road again, um, yearly surgeries to manage my endometriosis and also fertility treatments. So there's lots of fertility treatments out there. We did um, oral medication to try to support my cycle, injections to try to force ovulation. We did IUI, which is an in-uterine transfer. And so um, with each of these options, though, it really seemed like my body was not cooperating. At every turn, it was like my body was raging against the medicine. And that was frustrating, obviously, because we were pouring, I mean, thousands of dollars into this, not really to force my body to do anything it shouldn't do naturally, but just to get it to do what it should do naturally. So that was really hard um, and came with a lot of disappointment because we would go into each treatment with hope, like, okay, this looks good. It should work out. Everything physically is lining up. And then the end of the treatment would come and my body would just rage like, no, this isn't, this isn't working. So we faced a lot of disappointment through that. And thankfully, our our specialist was so understanding and didn't try to force us from one cycle into the next. She really let us take time to grieve and process and prepare for the next cycle in our own time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's just, it's a lot to take on, like... And I think that's a really important point. Like, you have to be able to take time to grieve and process and just what you're putting your body through or what your body's putting you through, you know, in that, in that whole process. So the framework of our mission is that we're taking steps to simplify in order to intentionally focus on what's most important. Walking through these struggles, what have you found to be the most important to help you grow as a couple and become stronger in your relationship with God? So I think to put it simply, the most important thing is to show up honestly to be honest with each other about where you're at and 
like we said earlier, you're going to be at different places than your spouse because you're different people. And even though you're in the same storm, you're experiencing it differently than one another. And so for us, honesty has been huge just to show up honestly and um, acknowledge where the other person is at. And honestly, for that with the Lord also, that infertility and loss has been a long journey of ups and downs. And I've learned that I benefit most when I'm honest with God and I wrestle through the hard feelings instead of pushing them away. I think sometimes as Christians, we just like to throw a cliche or throw a scripture on top of it and, mm. and stuff it all down until it looks better. But it doesn't feel better when you mm. do that. And I just think there's a lot of value in showing up honestly and wrestling with God through the hard things and through the questions and through the loss. And through that wrestling, you really grow your trust in Him mm. so that you can withstand the storm and you can withstand the ups and downs and that's not pretty. I think that there's just this idea that it has to look good and that it always has to be full of hope. And, and that's not realistic for anybody who's living in a reality where their health in any way is, is failing them. But especially um, when you're dealing with life and, and the value of a child and that just adds a lot of weight to the wrestling. So yeah, simply I would say that, that you just have to be honest and you have to wrestle honestly. I think that's, that's so important because like you said, I feel like as Christians, sometimes we feel like we need to have this Sunday school answer, you know, like we need to have the right answer. We need to respond the right way. But I feel like in reality, if you have a relationship with someone, you have to have honesty. Like in, you know, in our relationship with God, I think we have to be able to ask the hard questions. We have to be able to show like if our heart is in a struggling, hurting place, like God can take that. If we have questions that were even questions that are coming from a place of like disappointment, desperation, anger, like God can take all of those questions. And I think that the relationship with God is furthered. Just like you said, it's furthered through allowing that honesty into the relationship. And I know, you know, we were going through a different type of struggle, but we were going through a marital struggle. And I would say like a turning point in my relationship with, with God was when I had an out, loud, candid conversation with him, kind of a, what the heck are you doing conversation? And I think that my relationship with God was strengthened and grown because guess what? He could take it. And he had so much grace and so much compassion for that place that I was in. So I think that that's so good. That's so, so powerful. What encouragement can you share with someone who is walking a similar path? So I have a few things. The first thing is that God is not limited by your diagnosis. I feel like for me, for a long time, I felt the weight of the words, you know, that there's no chance. Um, and I've just learned that not to be true. So we, 
we did all the fertility treatments um, that we could do other than IVF and nothing worked. But we have conceived four times now, naturally, without any medical intervention. And while those were losses for us, and we're still learning about that in my body, it has really just reaffirmed this truth that I know that God is not limited by a diagnosis. He's not limited by anything, by, by our sin or by our failure or by our doubts, that he's not limited by anything. And it's just really encouraging for me to know that there isn't anything that can separate us from his love, that mm-hmm. our circumstances if you're walking through this, I want you to hear this, that your circumstances are not the measure of God's love, Mm. that his love isn't measured by what you're walking through or the blessings he bestows upon you or those that he withholds. It's not measured or limited by any of that. And we see that in Romans eight. I really encourage you to read that, that, that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of the Lord. And that even in our wrestling, in our groaning, that he is continually to work all things together for the good. And, and even if it doesn't feel good, because sometimes it doesn't. So that would really just be my encouragement to you is, is to cling to him and cling to the promises he's made you. And, I, and that doesn't mean blindly walking, like we said, right? You have to wrestle but still hold on to his promises and hold on to his goodness while you wrestle through it. I love how you keep saying to wrestle because I think that that that's really powerful imagery because I feel like when we're walking through hard things, we are, we're wrestling with so many different elements. And I just think if we can take that sort of that ball of frustration and fear and you know, all that it is, if we can take it and hand it to God and say, you know, I can't handle this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to need you to take this for me, you know, in my personal experience, he shows up like above and beyond what, you know, I would expect. It's oftentimes not in the way I would have wanted, you know, but like you said, he's working it together. He's working it together for our ultimate good. And I just think that's so powerful. And it's going to be very encouraging to people because um, you're coming from the standpoint of someone who has not only walked through this, but you're still walking it. You know, you're still... yeah. This is still something that y'all are going through. So where, where are you at now? What is it looking like? We had our first loss in December of 2018. We conceived without any help. And it was as soon as we found out that we were pregnant, we were miscarrying. And um, man, that was extremely difficult after waiting so long. Um, and then after that, we had done a few cycles of fertility treatments that next year in 2019. But honestly, I was just in a place of grief. I, I didn't want to be pregnant again until we knew that my body was healthy. Mm. And so we weren't really intensively um, seeking out fertility treatment or anything. Um, And really what, what came of that first loss is the doctor said, sometimes this happens right? Sometimes something is wrong genetically or with a DNA code and loss happens. And so that's where we rested with that is that we were heartbroken 
but we had no idea that there was an issue and that this was a loss we would face three more times. And so towards the end of last year, 2019, we conceived twice towards the end of the year. And both times were early losses, very similar to the first. And at that point we realized, I don't think this is a fluke that maybe there was something wrong with my eggs or with my embryos. And so we asked our doctor and she didn't think that it would be an issue. And so we got approved to do embryo adoption, which is a really cool thing. It's a whole separate um, conversation we could have, but pretty much you're adopting the embryos of somebody else's IVF cycle. And she thought that that would be safe for us, that, that we would be safe to carry an embryo full term, even though we had had these losses. And we were really excited about that. We started um, paperwork with an agency and we were getting our home study set up and um, not trying to get pregnant at that time at all. And then we faced another loss in January. And it was at that point that um, it did not sit right in my heart that we were going to implant somebody else's embryo if I didn't know that my body was going to carry it. And so at that point, our insurance had agreed. We had faced enough losses in their eyes to cover the testing we needed for, um, it's called a recurrent loss panel. So it's a very extensive blood test. And through that, we found that there actually was an issue that I had a blood clotting issue. And basically anytime an embryo would implant in my uterus, my blood would um, cut off the blood supply and then we would face a loss. So that was hard to find out. Um, Of course it was devastating because it was a loss of yet another thing, another child at the beginning of the year we lost and we lost the hopes of embryo adoption as well in this season. And so, so that's where we were um, with that. And we, that was the beginning of this year, 2020. And we really just stopped um, trying to conceive because I did not want to face any more losses. There was a few things that we did like I took some blood thinner and things like that so that if we did conceive, our chances were better of sustaining that pregnancy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where we, where we landed for this year. And that's where we're at. I mean, we're um, just praying that God would heal my body in such a way that we could carry a healthy baby yeah. full term at some point, but we are yeah. not actively trying to conceive at this point. I mean, they say if you're not trying, you're trying, but we in the infertility world just kind of laugh at that because you have to try so hard in our circumstances. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel loved from like your community through this? How have you been loved well? So we have been loved so well by people supporting us um, initially when we were seeking out fertility treatments. And 
we did fundraisers and people um, really showed up for us in a way that we were able to have these yearly surgeries because it is all so expensive. Mm. And, and people showed up really loving on us and encouraging us. But I have to be honest and say the most loved we have felt is people who have journeyed through us with this for the long haul. And I think that it's uncommon that people walk this road as long as we have and face so many losses in a row. Mm. And I, I don't blame people, but people kind of become numb to it, right? Like, like that we're not still living in this reality of loss and heartache. And it's just like, oh yeah, that's their story, you know? Mm. But the way that we have really felt loved is the people who continue to love us and continue to show up and um, continue to believe with us. So, and I, d- I don't fault other people. It's not, it's not the road that they're walking. And I understand that. It's a very difficult one. And obviously I wouldn't choose to walk it if I didn't have to. So, but yeah, we've really felt loved by people who have shown up and who continue to show up. I think the most helpful thing that I've experienced by a friend was um, when we had faced a miscarriage and she said to me, Tristan, this is your loss and you're allowed to grieve this loss however you need to. And you're allowed to grieve this loss however long you need to. And I'm going to be here with you, whatever that looks like. If you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. But this is your loss and your children matter and they matter to me and they matter to God. And so that was something that was incredibly helpful. Just that somebody acknowledged, hey, I see your pain and I see your loss. Man, those are words that that I will carry with me into every situation that anyone who faces loss, I hope that I can show up and say that, you know, this is your loss and I'm here with you for as long as you need me to be. Yeah. Yeah, because it's such a fluid thing. Like, it's not like I'm going to need two months, you know, like you can be good one day and then not good the next day. And then it can come up again, you know months later it's just it's a it's a fluid thing it's not something that um you can kind of nail down it's just yeah it's truly is a journey you know walking that path well i so much appreciate your heart and sharing your story because i know that it's not an easy story to tell but i think so many people are walking this path and experiencing this and I just, I admire your bravery for, for stepping up and being willing to talk about it and share, because I think every time that someone is willing to do that, um, I think it's just, it's so valuable. Um, do you have any resources that, that you could share that have been helpful for you? So I would say, um, as far as faith-related resources, there is groups called Moms in the Making. That's a really encouraging group um, to be a part of. And at different seasons, you'll want that and you won't. Mm. Medically, my biggest resource is that you need to be your own advocate Mm. and do your own research beyond Google. Even if you were paying thousands of dollars to see a specialist, you're the one living in your body and you know your body best. And while pain may be common, it's not normal. That's your body alerting you that something's wrong. So So be your own advocate and do your own research and you're the one who has to live with the consequences of 
your treatments or your yeah. lack thereof. And so that's powerful. And I think it's so true because no one is going to, no medical professional is going to care about your situation as much as you do or be as invested in it. So, you know, Absolutely. just taking responsibility for that, I think is huge. And yeah, because I think a lot of times we think like there's a quick fix, like mm. there's a certain treatment or a certain diet or a quick fix that we can do um, and it'll make it better. And in some cases, if that's the case, that's wonderful. But more oftentimes than not, our body is a holistic thing. Mm. Like there's lots of components that go into your body and your health. And yeah, I was just taking it all, all into account. Yeah. So one thing that we like to ask people that come on the show is what is something that you are just really loving right now? I'm really loving um, essential oils and <laughs> learning to live uh, a more toxin-free lifestyle. We love that. My friends make fun of me and my family and they call me the hippie. And I kind of am, but I'm here for it. <laughs> Ideally, we would live on a mini farm and homeschool our million children. So <laughs> feed them from the garden. That's awesome. So what's your favorite way to utilize essential oils? Well, we use, utilize them in every way. In our house. <laughs> so it's hard to choose. I mean, we use essential oils for cleaning and laundry and beauty care and health. So, man, I just wouldn't be able to choose. We use them for everything. Bug spray, awesome. all of it. Do you have a favorite? Oh, so everyday favorite would be peppermint because it's so versatile. You can use it for everything. Um, emotionally would probably be Valor. That's a really great one. Or Valor, some people say. Yeah, those would be the two. They're like gold. Awesome. I love it. Well, Tristan, thank you so, so much. This has been a great conversation. And once again, I just want to say how much I love your, your heart for sharing your story. That's well, thanks good. for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great to sit down and, and talk, and hopefully this is helpful um, to someone. I know. Even it if be. it's just letting them know, hey, you're seen yeah. and you're not alone. <laughs>